can't get enough eye-popping, jaw-dropping, heart-stopping reality TV. It's the best. Then head to Hey You, home of reality on demand. Stream and download the latest episodes from shows like Keeping Up with the Kardashians and The Real Housewives, same day as the US. What's more fun than that? Or binge old faves like The Simple Life and The Hills. That's hot. Hey You, reality on demand. Start your one-month free trial now. Hello everyone and welcome to the Slash Filmcast. I'm David Chen and joining me today is only one person, Jeff Kanata. Jeff, how are you doing today? Good, Dave. You're back. I am I'm so back. happy. I, I was so disappointed with your hosting job the last couple of weeks. I'm mm. like, dude, I got to redeem this thing. No, I'm just joking. Yeah. Um, no, I, I, that was my goal. It was all uh, a ploy to, to lure you back to the show is just do it very poorly. Uh, seriously though, Jeff did a great job and, uh, I've just been super busy, my job at work, uh, plus I've been sick again, you know, like I've been dealing with like a bunch of things. I took a trip across the country to Virginia to uh, show The Primary Instinct, the film I directed with Stephen Tobolowsky, a lot of stuff going on in the last couple of weeks and I'm so grateful to Jeff Kanata and Devendra and our awesome guests for stepping in and filling in for me the last few weeks on the Slash Filmcast and of course, uh, this week... Uh, I am stepping in to fill in for Devendra Hardwar because Devendra and his wife Raquel had a baby this week. It's amazing, a beautiful baby, and and we're wishing them all the best. And Devendra is taking some well deserved uh, time away to uh, spend time with his new family. Yeah, I mean the baby uh, photos that he posted are so cute. It's like I I, I yeah. kind of disbelieve that that baby could have somehow come from Devendra's DNA. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's true. Uh, it defies all logic. It does. It does. But but seriously, though, congratulations to Devendra and his wife Raquel. It sounds like both mom and baby are doing really well. And uh, uh, yeah, I mean, it's just it's amazing. It's amazing. Yeah. New life. Uh, another addition to the Slash Filmcast family. So cool. Um, and as uh, several people on Twitter pointed out, uh, now two of us will fully understand Interstellar. That's correct. That's correct. And for those for those who don't get that, you know, like I'm I'm very like uh opposed to inside jokes on a podcast <laughs> because I, I feel like they uh alienate newcomers. Like no, probably... no, no, no. They what they do is they reward loyal listenership. <laughs> there is somebody listening this week for the first time. And yeah. they have no idea what that reference means. They so should I... feel bad that they didn't find us sooner. <laughs> I will explain what that means, which is that a long time ago, after uh I gave a fairly negative review of Christopher Nolan's Interstellar. Somebody wrote in and said that I could not possibly understand that film because I didn't have children. Mm-hmm. So ever since then, <laughs> whenever we talk about children, we talk about uh, the auxiliary benefit of having children, having a full understanding of Interstellar. Right? Yeah, I mean, it was the only reason I actually had kids. I was <laughs> like, I really want to get that movie. <laughs> that's what, yeah, that's my understanding. So, yeah. Uh, Anyway, again, and then I was like, I really want to get that movie even more, and then I had a second one. <laughs> <laughs> I still don't get this movie. Yeah, I'll better have a second kid. Yeah, yeah. I mean, just for safe, you know, for safety. Yeah, right. Yeah. 
Uh, and don't even get me started on what we had to do to understand Inception. Um, <laughs> anyway, uh, again, congrats to Devendra and, uh, and his wife. And uh, I think uh, uh, he's going to take some time off, is my understanding. And hopefully he'll be back uh, sometime in the next couple months. Before the end of the year, probably, is my guess. Yeah. But, uh, and I, you kind of glossed over it, Dave. But I also want to say um, congratulations on your screening of The Primary Instinct. And I thoroughly enjoyed your video. You made a sort of a video blog about the experience with Steven, and uh, I thoroughly enjoyed that. So people should check that out if they haven't already. Oh, thanks, man. I appreciate that. Yeah, at youtube.com slash Dave Chensky. That's Dave Chen SKY. You can check out my video blog about it. And uh, yeah, it's just such a rare privilege to be able to uh, screen a movie that you've made in front of people who are eager to watch it. And so I just wanted to be able to capture that excitement uh, and so I tried to do that. I actually used my new iPhone XS Max to, to try vlogging it to see how it would uh, uh, it would look and sound. Looks so good. If, you, if you're curious about it, you can go check that out. Um, but uh, on my YouTube page, anyway. Uh, so wanted to make those those announcements, but I am back in Seattle. I have a, a cough, uh, so I might uh, cough occasionally, but I'll try to mute the microphone when that happens. Uh, but in the meantime, you can find more episodes of this podcast at SlashFilmCast.com. Email us at SlashFilmCast at gmail.com. And probably going to be a pretty short episode today. Uh, we're just going to talk about some what we've been watching and then move on into an in-depth review. This week, we're going to be reviewing Halloween, the reboot, remake, uh, requel, of Halloween. sidequel, um, legacyquel. Uh, yeah, I, I, it ha- the Halloween happened. This Halloween happened after Halloween. So you have to watch Halloween before you watch Halloween. Don't make the mistake of watching Halloween before Halloween because Halloween comes after Halloween. So, Well, you, you're forgetting yeah. that there is a, a third Halloween that mm. was released between Halloween and Halloween. Right, but Halloween doesn't acknowledge that Halloween exists. It only references Halloween and not oh, Halloween. Oh, right. It only references Halloween. Yes. That's right. right. Yeah, no, you're right. Good point. Um, uh, somebody on Twitter who I promised I would remember their name and I have forgotten now uh, came up with, I think, a brilliant nomenclature. And you know who you are. Uh, <laughs> he said that we should be we should be calling it Halloween, Halloween, ween and Halloween, ween, ween. That way, mm. no confusion will happen when you're talking about how Halloween, ween, ween references Halloween, but it does not reference Halloween, ween. I mean, I think uh, I think when the Fast and Furious movies came out with their naming scheme. We thought, like, this is as low as it gets <laughs> when it comes to franchise naming. And yeah. I think Halloween has proved us all wrong, right? Indeed. Indeed. Yeah. Well, before we get to what we've been watching this week, I wanted to do something that might, might – some might consider this fun. Some might consider it amusing. Others might consider it a colossal waste of time meant to pad out the runtime of the show. Mm. Uh, but we're going to find out momentarily. As some of you may know, we have a massive group, a Slack group of over 2,000 members. It's a called, phenomenal group. I, I lurk often and I post rarely, but I do enjoy it consistently. Uh, so it, it is called the Slack Filmcast. You can join at slackfilmcast.com. And uh, there is a member of that group, Patrick S., who goes by username PSIM, P-S-I-M. And what he's been doing is he has been going through the uh, entire history of the Slash Filmcast. Uh, and he has been uh, 
taking notes on all the old episodes, right? And, and like we used to do a film news on the podcast, but we don't really do that anymore. Uh, that is more the realm of Slash Film Daily, which is another podcast that's part of Slash Film that I'd recommend. You can subscribe to that at daily.slashfilm.com. Uh, and so we've kind of offloaded most of our news to that that podcast, and they, they do a much better job than we would on this show. But we used to cover news on the Slash Filmcast. And so it's fascinating to go back uh, to, you know, we're, we're at episode 490 right now, but to go back uh, 400 episodes and to think about what was happening like eight years ago on the Slash Filmcast. And so... Uh, I just wanted to read some of these entries that Patrick S. had written. Like, t- he took notes about what was happening. Okay, so I'm going to read this. Uh, and there's some, some editorializing on um, on some of these entries, and that's all coming from Patrick. So it's not coming from me, right? Okay, so here we go. Uh, so we used to rec- – actually, we sometimes still do record these things called the Slash Filmcast After Dark, where we kind of riff around about a bunch of random things. But I used to do that every week. We used to record a Slash Filmcast After Dark every week. And of course, that became way too much. But this uh, is before my time, so I'm only mildly interested. But mm, no, yes. I find these I find these uh, fascinating because, uh, as you'll find, dear listener, uh, Dave and Devendra did not hesitate to make predictions based on news. <laughs> that is correct. And uh, here we are in in their future. Yes. To be able to determine how accurate or inaccurate their uh, prostidigitation. No, that's not the word I want. Their uh, uh, prognostication. prognostication. Prognostication was yeah. yes. I mean, I was not always a three-time summer movie wager winning <laughs> person, so right. Uh, right. so some of this might be inaccurate. But here we go. Uh, Patrick S writes uh, episode one hundred three after dark. Tony Jaw to retire from acting in order to become a monk. Uh, apparently, he really became one before returning a couple of years later. <laughs> uh, episode one hundred four. A movie about Lev Grossman, the Tom Cruise character from Tropic Thunder is announced. Uh, kind of glad that never happened. Episode 111. Talking about the announcement for X-Men First Class, they speak about superhero fatigue and how Avengers will probably be the last big one for a while. Uh, nailed that one, Nail- guys. Nailed it! <laughs> uh, episode 113. J.J. Abrams is developing a movie based on the game Seven Minutes in Heaven. Uh, huge bummer that one never uh, came to pass. Yeah, yeah. Actually, I think that was adapted into 10 Cloverfield Lane is my <laughs> uh, Episode 114. <laughs> Several months in heaven. Is that not the original title? Episode 114. Blockbuster is entering bankruptcy. Uh, with the goal to close a few hundred stores uh, of their several thousand stores in order to emerge even leaner and meaner. <laughs> Shrewd, Blockbuster. Mm, Shrewd. Good. They're gonna they're gonna emerge any day now, Dave. <laughs> <They're> gonna, <laughs> it's still <laughs> anyone's game, is my understanding. Merely the fact that you guys were doing this show while there was still Blockbusters mm. is a remarkable thing. Indeed, indeed. Episode one one five. M. Night Shyamalan announces that the third film in his Night Chronicles will be based on a character that he cut from Unbreakable and will be a standalone sequel. Wow. Uh, It's all there. It was all there. Not going to say whether that one has come to pass, but the answer is maybe. It was all there. We just had to put it together. Maybe it's already happened. Uh, Okay. Episode 119. David O. Russell confirmed for the Uncharted movie adaptation. Yeah, uh, which still has we've had, not... we've had three or four directors confirmed for Uncharted. I mean, I, I don't. Th- didn't Nathan Fillion do the Uncharted like short film at some point? 
Yeah, I mean, that was a fan film. It wasn't. I, know, I don't think we're, sure. we're ever. Prediction today, I don't think we're ever going to see a major release Uncharted film. No, right. isn't Todd Holland doing the young Uncharted movie right now? Uh, like, they repped on Spider Man, isn't it? His, his Tom, Ho- Tom Holland? What did I say? You said Todd Holland, I think. Yeah, his uh, his brother. His brother, Tom Holland's <laughs> brother, Todd Holland. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. We'll we'll see. But I just, uh, I mean, Jeff, we've been talking about the Uncharted movie for eight years. So yeah, the I idea know. that it's finally going to come to fruition. Mark my words, everyone. We're <laughs> never going to see an Uncharted film. Uh, no, who knows? That, that might happen. Okay. Episode one twenty. Marvel is developing a live action Hulk series. Whatever happened to that? Mm. Uh, okay, uh, guests. Uh, Patrick writes some guests that occurred. Uh, the first appearance of Armand White happened in episode 109. Oh. Armand White did not like the film. What? Uh, but that was a a legendary episode, in my opinion. Like Which movie was it? Uh, Inception, mm-hmm. um, the Christopher Nolan film. Yep. And I, I think a lot of people felt like we were intellectually outmatched by Armand White on that episode. Um, mm. That Armand... Well, low bar. Successfully, thanks, thanks, Jeff. Uh, successfully uh, defeated us on that episode, which you know uh, is. I, I, I still really appreciate the fact that he joined the podcast. So, episode one twelve, Jeff Kanata appears on the show. Not his first appearance, but maybe the second. Hmm. Um, for the after dark, uh, Adam couldn't stay around, and they talk about avoiding spoilers from movie trailers and have a discussion about movie theater etiquette. It's basically hmm. a two thousand eighteen episode. I have one note. Evidently, I have. I, I talk about one thing for the last. <laughs> I mean, decade. I try to tell you that, Jeff, but you don't. You don't yeah. listen. Uh, a few other things. Uh, episode one hundred and five, After Dark. Uh, Dave and Adam discuss why they've started to avoid watching and analyzing movie trailers. Episode one hundred and seven, After Dark. Dave discussing Avatar: The Last Airbender, and then Patrick quotes me. He says, uh, "When is going to be the next tentpole release where there's actually an opportunity for Asian actors to play all the lead roles? It could be a decade." End quote. Wow. Close enough. Close enough, wow. unfortunately. Yeah. And then episode 109, uh, summer of 2010, is dubbed the f- the summer of disappointing sequels and remakes. And every summer afterwards. <laughs> it would be the first of many. So yeah. I think, you know, the more things change, the more they stay the same. And a big thanks to Patrick for chronicling all that. I just thought it was totally fascinating, right? Totally uh, it's, fascinating. A, it's awesome. And Patrick is, is awesome for doing that, for taking the time not only to listen to all those ep- episodes, but – to take notes and share them with everyone as the the show approaches episode 500 which is just around the corner it's pretty amazing to kind of have this look back because you know what we weren't gonna do it Mm -hmm. indeed indeed uh okay so let's get to what we've been watching this week and jeff i've been watching so much stuff in the last couple weeks uh take it away i'm excited to hear but here's the thing, Jeff. I was thinking, mm. hey, I'm, I'm going to be back on the Slash Filmcast this week. I've watched a ton of stuff. Uh, but I don't want to just come on the show and talk about all the stuff. Because like, you guys have spent the last few weeks delivering full, in-depth, spoiler-filled reviews about all this stuff, right? Mm-hmm. And, like, why would I uh, Why would I want to uh, step on your toes and rain on your parade, blah, blah, blah. You know, like, I... I want to. Uh, you got to take it up a notch. Is what I got to take it up. I got to take it up. Uh, so, so I had this idea of like rather than talk about every single thing I watched in depth, uh, why don't I summarize what mm-hmm. I watched mm-hmm. in yeah. limerick form? You know, limerick form. Limerick form. Mm-hmm. Yes. Did it? Is it because you watched everything in Nantucket? 
No, it's not. That's not the reason. Uh, it's because I thought, hey, uh, this is a brief, witty way mm. to communicate what I've watched, and uh, and also hopefully I- it'll be like amusing. You know, be like really amusing to like hear it. Rather than like hearing me drone on about all the stuff you guys have talked about, but Jeff, I, I, I've learned a couple I, things uh, while writing limericks um, for for the sh- <laughs> the things I've watched. Okay, uh, one of them is it's really hard to write good limericks, um, and right. the other thing is I am not good at writing good limericks. Oh, this crushes me because <laughs> I was about to pitch to you, David, a new policy where we have to write a limerick every week. I think we should be. The show that has limericks, and I am I am so excited about this this idea that I think you know we have recently been uh, accepted into Rotten Tomatoes, and I think our Rotten Tomatoes submission should be a limerick. Mm. Well, I think that would be brilliant and let's, genius. Let's talk about fun. that offline, as they say in <laughs> meetings at my office. Sometimes let's talk about okay. that offline. But I do like the idea that we do our reviews, and then at the end of our reviews, we have to then summarize them. In a limerick that we have written. That, that is a terrible. Yeah, I mean that's a terrible idea. Like limerick, you really need to like write them out in advance. You can't just like you can't just. No, like, I know. Extemporize well, but, limericks. No, no, no. I'm saying you 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 talk about all the things you talk about, and then you 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 end with saying the limerick that you have prepared in advance. Okay. Well, uh, I like this idea, Dave. It's your idea. No, it's it's really not. Jeff. You're just you're really your taking things idea. and running with them to an inappropriate degree. But here, I love your idea. Uh, so, so these limericks were bad. Like, I, I, I really wanted them to be good. I really wanted you to, to uh, listen to the limerick and be like, "Oh, that that tickled me. That tickled mm-hmm. me. That limerick just tickled me." Right. Um. I. Uh, wow. Not only did I learn a lot about a movie, but uh, I'm also impressed by Dave's wit and mm-hmm. verve mm-hmm. and uh, his command of the language. In, in my, yeah, my command of English. Uh, my mastery of the form. Mm-hmm. And uh, that none of that happened when I was writing these limericks. So, uh, I'm, not, nonetheless, I, mean, I don't want to just discard them. You know, that would it, be a waste, right? Is it? Is it? Do you, do you understand how I'm even more excited now? Yeah, no, I, I understand that. So why yeah. don't I? Why don't I give these a shot? I'll, I'll read the limericks, okay? Yeah. And uh, maybe you can uh, by I don't know by uh, letter grade or some some way of showing like what you think of the limerick, you know. Mm. Thumbs up, thumbs down, like letter grade, however you gotcha. feel appropriate. Okay. okay, here we go. I love it. Here Are you going to tell me what, 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 the, uh, what the movie or TV show is beforehand? You know, I was after? thinking about that. Like, I was thinking like maybe you should guess it, but like it's really obvious what it is. Okay. So okay. I don't think that's going to be fun. So I'm just going to tell you what it is before I say it, okay? Okay. Okay. Venom. Okay? Mm, yeah. Uh, Sony used to make hit after hit, but this film is totally shit. <laughs> the plot's a disaster, but nonetheless, hereafter, there will be sequels we shouldn't permit. Hey, that's not bad. <laughs> that's a solid B, dude. That's Thanks, a solid man. B. Thanks. Yeah. I, pr- I appreciate that. Okay. Uh, I mean, I'm sad, I'm sad you didn't work in, you know, some more specific language to the movie. You know, the word tongue would be a fun thing to rhyme, mm-hmm. I think. The, uh, the quote, I'm sorry about Venom, you know, is, yeah, uh, yeah, it's good. is it's definitely good. essential. But I think it's a solid B. Yeah, that movie is terrible. Um, it is. Uh, it is. Uh, you didn't find any. I found some fun with it, as I said on our show. It, it is redeemed by Tom Hardy's insane performance. Yeah. So I agree. Yeah. Okay. Um, see, watching Tom Hardy get into a lobster tank 
Right. No, makes, worth the price makes, of admission. Yeah, worth the price of admission. Worth the price of admission. That's right. That's right. If, if Tom Hardy was not in the movie, there would be absolutely nothing to recommend that movie. Yeah. Absolutely nothing. Okay. Did you hear? Did you listen to our episode? I, I said I liked that movie better when it was called The Mask. Mm, nice. Good, yeah. uh, good reference. Yeah. A Star is Born. Mm. A great voice Lady Gaga has got, but her <laughs> love for Bradley Cooper is for naught. They both have great takes, musical takes, in this middling remake that updates the songs but not the plot. Okay. All right. Uh, I'm going to give you a C yeah. on that one. C? Yeah. Okay. That's, that's deserved. Yeah. I mean, average. C is average. Uh, <laughs> I, think you're, I think you're going for easy rhymes, Dave. Yeah. That's all I'm saying. No, I, I think you're right about that. I think that's, <laughs> that's a fair assessment. Um, yeah. Okay. First man. Uh, Ryan Gosling is going to space with lots of shaky cam close on his face. Mm-hmm. People died along the way. Such a high price to pay. But in my book, this film gets an ace. Oh, see, that's the best one yet. Here's I like a problem. that one. Here's a problem, though. Like, in my opinion, the movie is only like a B, B plus. But I was rhyme. so far into the, the limerick at that point, I couldn't, I couldn't turn the bus around. Couldn't you just say the movie gets just below an ace? <laughs> I, I couldn't figure out anything that rhymes with B, you know? Well, now I, I have to deduct you for some points for being just dishonest at oh, this point that's yeah, i mean just pure dishonesty that's brutal that's brutal what you're doing <laughs> uh but no i thought i thought you know uh, first man is my least favorite of damien chazelle's movies mm. uh, like it's the one Same. i'm probably gonna gonna go back and watch rewatch the least but mm. um it, it does do it, it does recontextualize the entire yeah. space race in a way that you know, when you when you read about it in elementary school, it's like, oh, we conquered the moon, da 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 da, and it's like you right. forget a how freaking uncertain it was that we'd ever do that, right? And b the the incredibly high cost of all these lives yeah. uh, that were lost along the way, uh, and it makes uh, you know space flight to be terrifying. It makes it yes, out to be like sure. a, a, a horrific, harrowing process, mm-hmm. which uh, in, undoubtedly was, and we. Lose sight of that, and kudos to sort of recapturing that aspect of it. But it, 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 I, I agree with you that it is my least favorite of those films, of his films. Damien Giselle is 33 years old. He was born in 1985. Uh, his last two films were nominated for Best Picture, and it looks like this one will be as well. Uh, so this yeah. guy is the real deal, you know? And his, like, his- his last movie won and then didn't, but won for like a few minutes. Yeah, for more like more like thirty seconds. But I think uh, what is what is also amazing is how different this movie is than his last two films. That I think is is also really really cool. I love it when a filmmaker just shows wide range like that. I mean, it, it not only is the subject matter wildly different and the tone wildly different. But how he chose to shoot it, yeah, it do, it doesn't seem like the same filmmaker. It is, it's really cool. You watch La La Land and you watch this movie, and I, I think it'd be very difficult for you to say these two p- films were made by the same person, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, and th- that might be actually off-putting for some people. Like, I think the shaky cam is really intense and uh, does lead to kind of a samey feeling for the film after a while. But I, you know, it's it's it all feels extremely deliberate. It doesn't feel like. He did that by accident or that it was bad filmmaking. Like he wanted to convey a very subjective experience in yes. this film, right? Yes. So anyway, First Man, it's pretty good. Oh, I will say though that after reading an article by a fellow critic 
saying, you should definitely watch this movie in IMAX. I, I, I moved to heaven and earth. Not, well, not moved to heaven and earth, but like I, I made some efforts to watch this movie on a true IMAX screen. Yeah. You didn't think it was worth it? No, I didn't think it was worth it. Oh, the, worth mo- it. the moment where you go into full IMAX, I thought, like we were saying with uh, getting into a lobster tank with Venom, it is worth the price of admission. I thought that mo- just that the way it's used. I've never seen IMAX used like that before. Yeah. I mean, I, I think it is the best presentation of the film. So you should see it in true IMAX if you can. But I wouldn't like break an appointment you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. To go see it in, in true IMAX. Like, because it, it's, it's so short. It's like three minutes, five minutes in true IMAX. You know what I mean? Um, and yeah, I agree that it is very like intentional and very uh, uh, like I understand the impact it's going for, but it just didn't work on me, unfortunately. I don't know. Just my opinion. I, I, I feel like when I go see a movie in true IMAX, I really wanted to deliver on that promise. Yeah. And um, for, me, for me, the amount of footage, just, just like sheer quantity of footage in, in true IMAX did not make it feel worth it. And if you go to see it at like an AMC Limax, for instance, um, you're still getting a larger image, right, than you would otherwise. So it's not like true IMAX aspect ratio, but it's still like somewhat bigger. Uh, mm. And I think for most people, that's going to be completely adequate. Uh, yeah. so, but that's me. That's me. Uh, okay. <clears throat> Final limerick. Mm. Uh, <laughs> this one is the one I'm least proud of. Okay. Uh, this is Bad Times at the Al Royale. Some strangers get lost in a hotel. Their chemistry allows them to gel. Great acting and singing meant everyone was bringing their A-game to this film. That bodes well. Oh, Dave. <laughs> oh, Dave. <laughs> it wasn't so bad until the last sentence i know i know like it really goes downhill that last sentence right it really does it really does it's not finished strong <laughs> yeah uh, uh but i i really loved bad times at the el royale i it's great yeah. i thought it, i thought it was great and you know people are like oh it's too long i've seen like numerous articles say it's it's too long two hours and 20 minutes too long guys Film length does not actually matter. I mean, I know I just contradicted what I'm saying right now um, with my IMAX review of First Man, but film length does not matter as long as you are engrossed uh, in the story. And I was I was completely engrossed. I love – it's such a lavish production. It feels like so uh, – like the production design and, and every aspect of, of uh, the production feels so uh, meticulously considered and – uh, I, all the acting is great. You have some amazing performances, uh, and uh, the the breakout star of the film, uh, it, like they they took a. I think that's her first acting credit, right? The woman who plays um, Cynthia. My understanding is that she's a Broadway musical star, right? Uh, Cynthia Erivo, right? Mm-hmm. Um, oh yeah, no, she's uh, looking over her IMDb. She's been in a few things. Um, but uh, this is like oh, – actually, uh, the other film that she's been in is Widows, which is not coming out until uh, uh, next month. But yeah, so this is like I guess her first major wide release. And uh, she's amazing. She plays she uh, yeah. Darlene Sweet and the she, – she's basically the protagonist of the movie. Like the, like the movie begins on her and uh, follows her for a lot of the runtime and uh, I think she's amazing. You know, and, and yes, it's yeah. it's a bold move to base your entire film on a person that has very few film credits, uh, but I think it paid off very well in this movie. So, uh, 
I, I really love this movie. I don't know why people some people are down on it, but uh, had a great time. I, I actually would be up for watching it again in theaters. Um, oh yeah, how, how engrossing it was. I feel like you'd get more out of it knowing what happens. You know, it it is one of those movies that unspools in front of you, and you kind of you're bewildered for quite a while. And once you figure out wh- who everyone is and what their true motives are, I think second viewing would be really interesting to to see that all present before you knew it was present. Indeed, indeed. Uh, so those are my limericks, Chef. Uh, what did you think of that last one? <laughs> I think that that last one is a is a D minus. Wow, D minus. Uh, I was hoping yeah. like D plus at least. No, 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 no. no okay. uh, see me after class. <laughs> um, <laughs> see, yeah. I love when the teacher just wrote like circled something in red and said like see me in red. That's <laughs> yeah. like the worst. It is the worst. That's yeah. what you just gave me for that and- limerick. I I also kind of uh, I deduct points because you should have had the sense to reorder your limericks so that they improved in quality over time, mm, mm. Uh, so that I would have been pleasantly surprised at at your last one, and you you really did leave the worst for last. And mm. uh, okay, so well, nothing you're saying is unfair. <laughs> um, so I do think you should con- seriously consider this being the the limerick podcast. I think people would. I think our audience will will cry out in support of this idea. <laughs> And, uh, They're going to cry think, out, Jeff, but I don't think it's going to be in support. Um, I think f- finishing every review with a limerick is is what we were born to do. Mm. And I, I say that knowing full well Devendra is not here to tell me no, but <laughs> I think it's what we were born to do. So my wife actually wrote a, a delightful limerick. She knew I was going to unleash these terrible limericks on the podcast today, and she actually uh, wrote me a limerick to commemorate my return to the podcast. Here, here it is, Jeff. It's... One time David took a break, podcasts he decided not to make, but though he thrived, Devendra's baby arrived, so he's back to giving hot takes. See, she knows how to write a limerick. Mm. That's, uh, so you save that fun rhyme for the end. You get the hot takes there, the fun rhyme at the end. Uh, it's, uh, yeah, it's the best one that you've read so far. So I mean, Again, I, resent, I resent the implication of everything you're saying right now. but you know. Yeah, she outclasses you. Yet again. Uh, okay. I mean, let's. Uh, it's true. It's a true statement, but let's not let's not get too out of control with that. Uh, I like how also if you read that limerick carefully, you you sense that she's <laughs> she's she's not too happy you're back. <laughs> <laughs> that uh, is completely correct. Um, so anyway, let's move on with the show. Uh, oh, so what else have I been watching? What, uh, there's a couple things I've been watching that I didn't. Uh, write limericks for. And I want to give a big shout out to The Night Comes For Us. This mm. is a movie that is on Netflix, is uh, written and directed by Timo Jahanto, who, as far as I understand, is a Slash Film Cast listener. Oh. This is what I have been told. Uh, Timo Jahanto is anymore. a Slash Film Cast listener. Not, not after the Not limericks. after that limerick assault. Um, and uh, so his last movie was Headshot with Iko Uwais. Uwe, you know, uh, mm-hmm. the, the main actor from the Raid films. Right. Uh, and he's made this movie, The Night Comes For Us. And this movie is insane. It is uh, like, it, it's, it's, first of all, it's my favorite film of his so far. And the reason it's my favorite film is the violence. It's basically, uh, I don't know that the plot is that uh, uh, engaging, in my opinion. Like, it's not, it's not like a, a super inventive plot. It's more of a set piece delivery mechanism. Mm. 
Mm. And the movie is nonstop set pieces. I would say the movie is what, like an hour and 50 minutes. Of the hour and 50 minutes, probably 90 minutes uh, is action scenes, right? Like that's my random, like that's my kind of rough guesstimate of uh, how much of the runtime is action. It's like, you know, well over 70, 80%. Um, and the action scenes are incredible. Like they are extremely gory. Uh, they are. It's like human bodies absorbing incredible amounts of damage and still like going on to fight people. Uh, the fights are are bloody. Like you see uh, bones being broken. You see like hooks and like other sharp objects like penetrating and going through body parts. Uh, and a lot of it is done practically. And honestly, this reminds me of like when I was watching John. It made me feel like how I felt when I was watching John Woo's movies. When I was a kid, you know, uh, yeah. watching something like Hard Boiled or The Killer and all this over the top violence that's done so stylistically, that's so over the top, that's so impressive, like, and that creates these characters that become so memorable and iconic uh, that I, I am just so impressed with this film and would recommend it if you are a fan of, uh, you know, <clears throat> action movies, of martial arts films. Uh, and like want to see like something old school that's done with practical effects where like you just have a bad feeling that people got injured while they were making it, but they're probably <laughs> yeah. fine. Um, that's the night comes for us. Wow. And uh, I'd highly recommend it. Were, were you a fan of those like kind of like cheesy, you know, uh, action films when you're growing up? Oh, yeah, very much so. Yeah. I mean, that was like in my dorm room in college. That was like Friday night. We would, you know, put on a Jackie Chan movie or you know, hard boiled or some something we'd find at, you know, the video store when they were video stores. Um, and we would, you know, investigate some crazy thing based on the back cover that looked like it was insane and nuts and ultra violent. And that, that, you know, I love that kind of stuff. I, um, I'm very curious to see this movie. Yeah. It's like, it's like Jackie Chan movie, but without the humor and with far more gore, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like Jackie Chan's like always a funny guy. He's always, uh, he's perpetually, amazed that he is in the situations he's in oh yeah it's a delight to watch that uh delight is not the word i use to describe (laughs) the night comes for us you know like no no one is like really excited to be in the (laughs) or or, like amazed to be like they're all they're all just like brutally maiming people left and right you know well it sounds maybe like the raid you know movies that i very much enjoyed where it's just like how did the stunt people not all end up uh, incapable of walking yeah. after making this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, and even that is like, impre- you know, the fact that they were able to film this and like yeah. no one died is impressive. Right. Um, so anyway, it's the night comes for us. Uh, really memorable characters, really amazing action. Uh, and it's just brutal. I mean, like, Jeff, I've been watching these movies my whole life. My whole life I've been watching action movies. This is a movie that I actually, I'm going to admit, I actually had to pause it and uh, uh, pause and like take a break because it was so relentless uh, and so but brutal. In a good way? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, you know, for some people they're like, that sounds terrible, David. Why would I ever want to watch that? For me, it's like I'm just impressed at the audacity of it. Yeah, yeah. Um, so anyway, The Night Comes for It's on Netflix right now. And speaking of shows on Netflix, I also had a chance to watch Making a Murderer Season 2, Episode 1 and 2. Haven't watched the whole thing. I just want to give a shout out to this show because like so rare – like most of the time when you watch a true crime series or listen to a true crime podcast like Serial or The Jinx, 
um, the, the the documentarian like tears through these people's lives like a tornado, and they n- never look back. Uh, and the documentarian becomes famous, but like the people who like lived through the ordeal, um, they they still have to live through the ordeal. Like they're still living with the aftermath of that. And this is one of the first shows I've seen that actually acknowledges that. You know, like the opening montage of Making Murder season two is just like a summary of all the stuff that happened after the movie was released. Hmm. And I thought that it was like a montage of all these news clips, and I thought that was like pretty uh, interesting, pretty impressive to see filmmakers. Not they're, they're, I would not describe these filmmakers as even-handed, uh, but they at least acknowledge that people have criticized their methods, uh, and that like that some people have been hurt by this film series. Um, and uh, I, I thought that was that was like very. We just rarely see. Uh, documentarians grappling with the impact of their work, and so uh, the the show is mainly about like all the stuff that happened since right. uh, the first se- season aired a few years ago. And I don't know if I'm going to make it through the whole, through the whole thing, uh, but I'm intrigued so far. And uh, I just thought that was there was an impressive montage at the beginning of season two. So that's Making been, a Murder season two. We reviewed it on the pod, Making a Murder season one on the podcast. Uh, yeah, and I, I loved the first one. I was riveted by it, but yeah. I have been very torn as to whether or not I'm going to watch the second one because I don't know if I can put myself through that again. And because it was a different time when I when I saw that first season. It, it was uh, during the, the, the world, Obama era, right? During the yes. Obama era, yeah. And the world has changed, and and things seem so much darker. And I could sort of rally my own, uh, I don't know, indignation and uh, and sense of justice around this story. And while I still think it deserves attention, and as all stories of potential injustice do, I feel like I'm tapped out. I'm mm. tapped out. It just, it just. I don't know if my constitution can can endure another. Uh, I'm going through the emotional ringer of something like this. Yeah, you know. I, well, I don't know if the U.S. constitution can endure. <laughs> yeah. Uh, anyway. <laughs> okay, but Boom but uh, <laughs> I, I understand. You're saying like you you're saying hey you you your attention has been diverted in like 50 different directions in the last yeah. few years, and. Uh, and it's hard to get, like you. You're you are you, Jeff Kanata, are perpetually worked up, and yes. it's hard to get like worked up over an additional thing. And I understand. I mean, the, yes, and and the first season was very much about uh, potential abuse of power and the yeah. the taking advantage of uh, a social, you know, a, a, a certain socioeconomic group, uh, people that live in a in a certain class system, and how uh, the elements of power can work against them in very unfair ways. And that's just like headline news. Now that's just day to day. What's happening. That's just the, you know, the levers of power are disenfranchising and destroying the lives of countless groups that are vulnerable. And it just feels like I, I, I don't have the capacity to endure this as a, as a entertainment medium anymore, you know? Fair enough, man. Fair enough. Um, well, that's Making a Murder Season 2. Uh, and you watch something like Making a Murder Season 2 despite <laughs> yeah. that, right? Yeah, I, uh, I say all that and I'm going to uh, expose uh, – I – after hearing so many people, including you and Devendra on this podcast, talk about American Vandal, I finally revisited it. I had actually watched, I don't know, 
five minutes of the first episode once. Just I turned it on like, eh, I'm, what is this? Watched five minutes. I'm like, this looks dumb. I'm out. This looks like a sketch that was Agreed. stupid. Agreed. And I'm out. And uh, and then I had heard from numerous folks, including you guys, that uh, it is excellent and I should revisit. And so I did. And uh, it is another one of those examples of I am glad I listened to you guys and I'm glad that I uh, I gave it a second chance because it's it's genius. That show is genius. Uh, I am absolutely floored by the fact that not only – do they nail the structure and tone of the how to you know, of making a murderer or serial or those any of those self serious uh, investigative journalism pseudo documentaries? Uh, they nail the tone, they nail the structure, but they also create a legitimate mystery yeah. that is actually interesting while also being ridiculous and absurd and. But sort of has its own internal logic that makes a lot of sense. The motivations of these characters that they've written, that they've invented, that are caricatures of people that you knew in high school, that people know in high school now, teachers you've met. These are all – they're dealing with tropes that are familiar. But all of the motivations of those characters make sense. The the thing that the best of those real shows do, which is – you think one way and then, oh, no, 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 I think the exact opposite. Now, oh, no, 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 I think the exact opposite. Now, this show manages to do with its fiction all the while being ridiculous and funny and maintaining a level of verisimilitude in the performances that never pull me out. You know, it's very difficult to create this sort of faux cinema verite style and not make it seem too over the top or make it seem that they're obviously acting and obviously being ridiculous. All the performances are really grounded and feel really real and yet are super funny. I just, I am so amazed that this works not just as a five minute sketch or one 30 minute episode, but it works as a full season of television. Like over and over and over again, it completely, surprised me and impressed me with just the quality level of what they attempted to do, the audacity of just trying to do, a, a, you know, a parody of this and then pulling it off. I, it's very amazing to me. I agree. It's really, so how much did you watch? Did you finish season one? I have not quite finished season one yet. I was hoping to do that before I talked about it, but I have not yet. Okay, so you don't know one. who drew the dicks yet. I don't know who drew the dicks, okay. but, uh, I have some theories, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> I uh, I am you know I, there are episodes that uh, I have completely been like the episode where they you know they uh, have you gotten to like the party reconstruction episode yet? Yes, amazing. That's amazing. Incredible. Incredible. Yes, <laughs> the, just writing that, plotting that out, and then and then shooting it must have been hard too because you need all those pieces and you need everybody. You sort of need to. Pl- plan it out like a play yeah, yeah because yeah, yeah. everybody has to be in the right places from all the different perspectives and you have to have that that timeline correct it's it's amazing i love the episode where they uh treat each other the two filmmaker kids treat each other as suspects mm-hmm. i thought that was awesome um you know they they do everything that those shows do they treat all the people the way the people are treated in those shows they the the conversations that they record of themselves debating it you know like talking back and forth presenting the evidence to each other and debating it back and forth 
it's like it's all so perfect and uh and yet the you know very young actors uh not anybody you would know before this and they're all so i think so real and grounded the guy who plays um sort of the main suspect is fantastic like he's like the casting of this show is so perfect everybody is exactly central casting for what you remember of that kind of person in high school, you know, or that kind of teacher in high school. They nailed it and the performances are great too. So it's 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 great. Somebody wrote on, on Twitter, I don't remember who, I, I read this at some point months ago, but someone said like, this is the best depiction of high school since Freaks and Geeks. Which <laughs> yeah. I thought yeah. was pretty, like you don't think about it like that because it's not a uh, narrative fiction series, but right. uh, or it's not told that way, but I think it's very true. Like it totally nails... High school, the experience yeah. of high school, in my opinion. Um, yeah. And <clears throat> yeah, I, I think it's brilliant. And you, you were saying um, how like the, the faux documentary style doesn't bother you. And I think I was reading an interview with the uh, the guy who directed every episode, Tony Yacenda, I think his name is. Yeah. And he was saying what was really important to him was if you ever watch a mockumentary, like if you ever watch Christopher Guest stuff, uh, virtually every uh, – interview like talking head interview that's in those documentaries it has a very similar structure it's almost like a sitcom right it's almost like uh set up set up set up punchline cut right. to like b-roll you know like that's right that's how a lot of those uh mockumentaries function and but that's not how real documentaries function right like that uh, there's um musings and and ruminations that don't go anywhere um or or lead somewhere where you don't think in yeah. a in a real dog, and he he very much wanted it to be played completely straight, uh, yeah. and like no winking at the camera, no no one even thinking that this is funny in any way that they're doing this, uh, and I think that really works. That be, like the more straight they play it, the more funny it is. You know what I mean? Yeah. Oh, totally. So, yeah, totally. And the the episode, um, and I hope this isn't considered a spoiler. I don't think it is. But uh, the thing that I the episode that I was trying to remember that I thought was so so genius is. The one where as they sort of the, – the show itself becomes famous and people have their own theories and so they like go back and look at all the theories that viewers of their series are saying. You know, like it's so cool the way they step through all of those theories. It's, it's exactly like when I was listening to Serial in real time and a new episode would come out and you know they'd be like – Last week, everybody thought you know Adnan Syed was doing this, and we we checked that out. It's like it is so it understands all of the tropes of those things, and it acknowledges them and does them all so well. I just I'm astounded at the the imagination to create all of the elements that needed to be created to create to uh, pull off an actual interesting mystery. You know, they created a mystery, and that's not easy to do. Indeed. Well, that's American Vandal Season 1. It's on Netflix right now. And Jeff Kanata has come around to it. And I'd recommend you come around as well. It's a great series. I watched Season 2 in like two days. Uh, I love this show. I hope they keep making them for a really long time as long as the show can be good. Um, yeah, yeah, I'm excited that, for Season 2 for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That is what we've been watching this week. Before we get to our review of Halloween, we want to thank all the people who donated to the show this week. Uh, a big thanks to Siron Norris for his very generous contribution. And uh, thanks to new uh, monthly subscriber Noah Wentz 
who's donating a little bit over $2 per month. You can do that if you want. If you want to help us defray the cost of uh, seeing movies and putting on the show, you can always go to paypal.me slash filmcast. That's paypal.me slash the word filmcast. We really appreciate any money you can throw our way. Thanks to all our donors and subscribers this week. You're awesome. Let's get to our review of Halloween. We're here to investigate a patient that killed three innocent teenagers on a Halloween in 1978. He was shot by his own psychiatrist and taken into custody that night. And has spent the last 40 years in captivity. Hello, Michael. I have something you might like to see. Everyone in my family, like, turns into a nutcase this time of year. Yeah, I mean, your grandmother is Lori Strode. She was almost murdered. Wasn't it her brother who murdered all those babysitters? No, it was not her brother. That's something that people made up. Do you know that I pray every night that he would escape? Who the hell did you do that for? So I can kill him. That was from the trailer for Halloween, the new film by David Gordon Green. And I want to ask you a question, Jeff. Like, I have no idea what your relationship to these Halloween movies is. So, like, are you a fan of Halloween? Have you seen the movies before? Like, what's your deal? I'm not – I would not consider myself a fan of Halloween per se. It's not It's not one of those ones that um, lodged itself in my in my psyche as, as a kid or it, was, it wasn't a franchise that I fell in love with. Certainly my favorite horror franchise has always been Nightmare on Elm Street. Mm. Uh, but I, of course, had seen Halloween, was aware of it, had seen several of the sequels. Um, I doubt that I've seen all of the sequels, but I and I, I'd have to go back and look. I wish I intended to do this, and I uh, kick myself for not having done it. I wish I had rewatched the first one before watching this one because I feel like I would have been rewarded. Well, uh, let me. So there have been eleven Halloween films, including this one, right? The first one coming yeah. out forty years ago in nineteen seventy-eight. Uh, how many of those movies do you think you've seen? Five or six. Oh wow, nice. Uh, yeah. So uh, you know how many I'd seen before last week, Jeff? Zero. Had not even really? watched the original before. Yeah. Oh my god. This is wow. just a franchise that had like I had absolutely no interest in. Um, and and I'm not I'm not like not a fan of horror. I. I like you said, I also enjoy uh, Nightmare on Elm Street. That's probably my favorite uh, franchise uh, of horror films. Um, and even Friday the 13th, I've watched a few of them. Um, but yeah, for some reason, like the idea of Michael Myers is just never particularly interesting to me. And so uh, like I, I like the design, you know, like the the design of the mask and, and uh, the costume and everything like that. Um, but yeah. You know, that, it was, never... uh, that was a James T. Kirk mask. Yeah, uh, no, that's right. The yeah, original. Shatner. Moment, the original. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so I, I, I liked it. Uh, I, I liked the visual of it, but I, I never was particularly taken by the franchise. So you should, people listening should just understand the perspective on this new film is coming from someone who just really had very little interest in the franchise. And um, I, I did buy the Blu-ray for the original Halloween film, and I did watch the Blu-ray for the original Halloween film because this new Halloween film does away with uh, – like completely ignores everything after the second film. 
right. or starting with so the second you, film. Did you watch it before you had seen this or after? No, I, I watched the first 1978 film, then I watched this film. Oh, good. And yeah, I wish I, also, I had rewatched that one before seeing this one. Yeah, yeah. I, I also watched uh, Screen Junkies did a uh, a cram it video that was <laughs> extremely amusing and helpful. It was like a twenty minute summary of every single Halloween film, uh, mm. and I would just recommend like that for people who are interested in catching up with all the Halloween films because um, apparently we didn't really miss that much. That was my <laughs> that was my uh, <laughs> takeaway after watching uh, that Kramit video. I mean, you, there's, there's this this franchise has, has gone in some crazy directions. Halloween three season of the witch like doesn't even have to do with Michael Myers. Like they tried to make this like an anthology series. Do you know about well, that? Well, I I was aware of that, but I think that in the age of Marvel universe tying things together and stuff making mattering from film to film. And, you know, I, I know there have been movies that have maintained a, an internal structure, but it is very rare before Marvel pulled it off that anything that got beyond three movies made any damn sense whatsoever, mm. you know, and almost always, if you had a franchise that got into the sixth, seventh, eighth installment, they just ignored things or became standalone. It, they were, it, you know, before the era we're in now, that's just not something that people cared much about is did it carry over from the previous one? No, it's got a new Halloween, which which is a shorthand for who the bad guy is going to be. And there's going to be some stuff that happens that's that's negative. <laughs> you know, that it's just a shorthand to tell you kind of what's going to happen. Not not the fact that like the the events of previous films matter for this one. It, it's just a new phenomenon and, and one I think has, has improved our viewing <laughs> experiences. But uh, yeah, I just, th- these movies didn't care about that previously. So here's the IMDb summary of the new film. Laurie Strode comes to her final confrontation with Michael Myers, the mass figure who has haunted her since she narrowly escaped his killing spree on Halloween night four decades ago. Jeff Kanata, what did you think of this film? I uh, I was pretty impressed with it. I actually uh, I actually thought for what it's trying to do, it does it pretty well. Um, I thought particularly the first third of this movie, first act, uh, was was pretty close to excellent. I I really enjoyed uh, how it set up all of the the situation, how it kind of created a sense of tension. There are some sequences in the first part of the movie that are legitimately terrifying and uh, well executed. Um, there's a sequence in the, the fog uh, on, a, on the side of a road that is absolutely uh, haunting. It is, it's really well done. Um, and there's some stuff that's super creepy. I appreciated the fact that it it didn't leap to super gore right away. It, it actually wanted to create some tension and it actually cared about its story. It cared about its characters. It cared about uh, investing you in, in, in the world and, and actually creeping you out and making you feel a spine tingle rather than merely a jump scare or a gross out. Um, and I thought, you know, for what this movie is trying to do, it – it pretty much succeeded. I, I didn't feel it was overtly stupid. I think it falls apart as it gets closer to the end uh, in sort of why people would be motivated to do a thing. But, you know, the central hook of this movie is old person fighting bad guy, right? It's, it's, it's grandma 
versus uh, Mike Myers. And uh, I find that to be a, a pretty fun premise, a pretty interesting take. And I thought it delivered on that in a pretty satisfying way. Um, you know, it, I didn't think it was a great movie by any stretch, but I thought there were moments of 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 pretty darn good. And overall, I didn't hate watching it. I, I thought it was a if you're looking for something to get you into the Halloween spirit and you like a, a fun, creepy movie, I think you can do worse. I, I thought this was pretty good. I would say it's a solidly executed slasher film. You know, it's if yeah. you if you like slasher films, I think you won't be disappointed with this one. And, I, you know, I talked about how I watched the first Halloween recently and I actually didn't share what I thought about it. Uh, but it's it's some of the direction in that film is pretty amazing like there are some shots that john carpenter does in that film that to this day have not been equaled you know what i mean in in terms of how uh brilliantly executed they are how he uses uh shallow depth of field and blurs the like there's all this stuff going on in the background right and uh, the the foreground is in focus in the background you see like michael myers doing random crazy creepy shit um and he uses that background and foreground kind of interplay really beautifully in in that film. So like once once Michael Myers shows up in the first film and like things pick up, I think it's a really well done film. Uh you know, all the stuff before that with the relationship with Laurie and her friends like not I'm not I'm personally not as interested in that stuff, but um there's just some great direction in the first Halloween, the 1978 film, and I think a lot of it is referenced really lovingly in this film. Uh, like I don't know, you, see, you you said you hadn't seen the the first film in a long time, but yeah, uh, there's many shots that are a direct reference to the original Halloween. I um, sensed that, which is why I kind of uh, regretted not revisiting it before seeing this. And certainly, you know, the events are referenced and cast members come back. Um, but I I sensed that there was even more, and I I'm sad that I didn't get that experience. Uh, I think, uh, like, I'll, I'll just list a couple, and I think this is, I'm going to be, like, very, very vague, uh, so as not to spoil anyone. Um, but there is a shot when a character is in uh, school, right? And then that character looks out a window and sees another character, yeah, right? right? Direct reference to the first film, right? Right, right. And uh, there is a shot when a character uh, looks over the side of a house, and tries to see a character uh, lying on the ground, but that character's right. not there anymore. Direct reference to the first film. And here's the thing. Uh, in the first film, that character that I'm talking about that you, that is seen is Michael Myers. Right. But in the new film, it's not Michael Myers. It's a different right. character. And uh, the way the film plays with that and kind of inverts who you think you're going to see is very clever. Uh, and I think... It is more than just kind of a rehash. It kind of uh, is, in some ways, quite inventive. So, yeah, I uh, I, I enjoyed this movie. You know, I, it's not a movie. Like, I think there's some people who I've seen on Twitter who like really love it, and they're like, "Oh, I, w- I went to go see this a third time," and I'm just like, I, I have absolutely no interest in seeing this movie again. You know, it's not a movie that, like, I, I guess I just I, I, I find it. I, I just still find the concept of the character to be super uninteresting. You know, mm. um, it's just a dude that can kill things. You have no access to this person's inner life. Right. Uh, he, he's got very little personality aside from the mask. And, right. and the um, mask has no personality. <laughs> I think there's like people who are like 
freaking out, like screaming in, in their cars right now listening to this podcast, being like, Dave Chen, you're a moron. Uh, but what I thought was absolutely comical was there is a character in this film who is a doctor. And uh, another character actually identifies him as, quote-unquote, the new Loomis, which is a reference right. to uh, the character of Loomis, who is a, a big presence in, in the Halloween franchise. Right. And <clears throat> uh, this character has, quote, studied – like, he's basically studied Michael Myers for 40 years. Michael Myers has been his obsession for 40 years, which I thought was pretty hilarious because apparently Michael Myers in that time has not said a single word. So right. what is he studying? Like just studying how Michael Myers like walks around and like stands in a st- corner, stands in a corner. You know, like what? Yeah. What is he? And to me, that f- that felt to me like like there are people who are like love this franchise, and I'm just I, I just I don't see a there there. You know, I, I don't see yeah. like aside from really awesome direction of slasher scenes, like really genuinely suspenseful, like really great jump scares. Like the technical craft is excellent. Uh, in both the original film and this one, but but beyond that, there's nothing for me to really be attached to emotionally. Um, so it, that's, it's that's, even it's even worse. The there's a literally the line from that doctor character who says, uh, "It's not that he can't talk; it's that he chooses not to." <laughs> yeah, that's correct. Which how do you determine that? How does well, one well, like, determine I, like he that? physically has a mouth and lips and a tongue and stuff and can move them? Right. Sure. But that doesn't necessarily mean that you can talk, you know. <laughs> yeah. How, how, how does he? Know, how does he know that he chooses not to talk, but is physically capable of it? Mm. He doesn't know that. Uh, yeah. There's no way to know that. Anyway. I think it was very clever how, for much of the film, um, and, and this is—I don't think this is a spoiler because this happened like early in the like in the first scene of the film. Uh, but for, for a significant portion of the film, Michael Myers is not wearing a mask and they always figure out a way to keep that face just a little bit out of frame. You know, you know how in, uh, in the, the second Austin Powers movie, yes. Uh, they start and he's naked Yeah, and they do a, a elaborate series of, of, uh, props that always get in the way of his junk. Yeah. That's that. But this is for Michael Myers face. Uh, yeah, agree completely. It's actually kind of amu- it's pretty amusing how they do it. Yeah. Actually, so um, also uh, Casper mattress in the in the chat room <laughs> says oh. uh, that Carpenter's score in the original was fantastic, but the score of following twenty eighteen wasn't as good. Uh, I mean, y- y- I don't know how I feel about that statement. I thought the score in this film was actually pretty solid and a uh, a great follow up to that original score. Uh, but also you, like, th- that is one of the most iconic scores of all time, right? Like yes, you hear yes. three seconds of that score, you know exactly what movie that is, what franchise right. that denotes. And so saying yeah. like, it's not as good is like, okay, yeah, it's not as good as one of the best pieces of horror film music ever made in the history of cinema. Okay. Right. Congratulations. Uh, <laughs> good observation. You know, like, yeah. Way to go it, Casper mattress. <laughs> yeah. Thanks for that. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I thought it was a solid score. Um, yeah. so I, I appreciated that. Okay. I, I want to. I want to mention uh, uh, that I may have uh, my my <laughs> take on this movie may have been slightly swayed by the fact that Jamie Lee Curtis, with the the hairstyle that she sports in this movie, looks very much like my mom, mm. like v- like shockingly like my mom. Uh, so I I don't know. I was inclined maybe to 
be more invested than I may have uh, watching my mom run from Michael Myers on the big screen. <laughs> All right, let's get to spoilers for Halloween starting right now. Now you're looking for the secret. You're going to see this coming? No. But you won't find it because, of course, you're not going to see this coming. You're not really looking. I have been puzzling over how it works. You don't really want to work it out. Who's in the box? I have been dying to tell you. I want to tell you my secret now. You want to be fooled. Well, Jeff Kanata, this weekend I saw a film that's a sequel to an older movie in which an unstoppable killing machine is defeated by an iconic heroine. However, in the sequel, it's clear that the initial trauma has had a lasting impact. The heroine from the first film has basically become a survivalist and has (laughs) passed on her trauma and survivalist skills onto the next generation. It all culminates in a big confrontation where the heroine barely escapes with her family and the villain is consumed in a fiery blaze. The last shot of the film takes place on a road as the protagonists head into an uncertain future. But enough about Terminator 2, Jeff. So good. That's one of the best ones you've done, Dave. Let's talk about spoilers for Halloween. Boom goes dynamite. So good. Boom. Uh, So good. Uh, And yes, uh, she um, Jamie Lee Curtis is definitely doing a Linda Hamilton uh, in this movie. Uh, They don't even try to pretend that they're not just ripping off Terminator 2. Uh, It is uh, it's egregious, but I think it's fun. It's still fun. Um, well, this movie this movie adds several things to the slasher genre, right? In my opinion, number one is this movie basically asks the question: What if slasher genre, but the victim is prepared, right? right. And there's some really cool things that she does. Like there, there's still like some stupid things that happen, like the dad leaving the house. You know, and check on stuff. He's checking on stuff. You got to check. See, Oh, is there something happening out here? That's not the killer trying to kill me. Like maybe set some ground rules. Like don't fucking leave the house by yourself. uh, Given that we're under, you know, Um, yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. And then the second thing, the second thing is just like this idea of trauma that the the movie actually respects like, oh, hey, this one event can actually shape your entire life. And certainly like, uh, that not only can it shape your entire life, it can be passed on generation to generation, right. and uh, that's certainly something like we've seen in the news recently um, of sure. of trauma making a big impact on people's lives and and um, how that can play out. And so I think uh, the movie does a pretty good job of, of respecting those things. Um, yeah, yeah, I thought that was pretty interesting and uh, a cool take on on that. I. You know, I, I I liked the ride that we go on with Jamie Lee Curtis. It's fun. I, I mean, we're telegraphing the idea that she's prepared, that she's going to be awesome. She's not quite as awesome as we're led to believe, I think. I mean, she's not exactly Linda Hamilton, I don't think. But uh, I guess that's realistic, you know. Well, why, you why do you say that? Like, what about her makes you f- say that? Well, she has a veritable arsenal uh, in in her home, yeah. and she chooses one weapon to walk around the house with. Uh, it, it, it's like her preparedness is disproportionate to her actions, mm. in, in my opinion. Mm. And we, you know, ultimately the whole point was to get him down there to trap him to burn him, but also like. Did you need to lose every possession that you've ever had in, in the in the destruction? Like, do you have to burn your whole house down? I feel like there's a way to kill him that didn't involve 
you losing everything you own. Well, um, according to according, I mean, there is some interesting commentary in the film about like how these two characters almost need each other in some way. Yeah, right. Like yeah. that. That like there's a predator and the prey and then like like right. that the existence of the other in some way defines the the, the other you know and then like right. and, and because of that like basing your whole existence around this other person um it, it doesn't strike me as out of the realm of possibility that like hey i'm willing to consume all my earthly possessions for that thing uh for, for this conflict that being said uh, i believe it is a late change that um uh that they burn him in the house like my what i this may may or may not be true but like we saw someone tweet at slash film today that they saw like an early preview screening and the ending was completely different oh really Um, it it was a confrontation between jamie lee curtis and uh and michael myers like you know like a knife fight of some kind and you actually see a shot of it in a trailer i think Mm. um so it seems like the the burning in the fire might have been a late stage addition which may or may not um answer why it feels like not super well thought out to you Mm-hmm. Uh, I, this is just conjecture. Uh, that Can being I, said, I do agree with you that like uh, it does seem that some scenes are contrived uh, to you know some scenes are contrived in terms of uh, to, to generate suspense. Like she has these super cool doors that descend from the ceiling, like these metal do- like glass yeah. doors, and like every time she like hits one of those and it comes down, it's like oh man, like. If only every character in a slasher film had these, right? Right. But then it's like, well, why didn't? Why were they open in the first place? Yeah. Like, why? Just, just start. Like, <laughs> as soon as he walks in the house, all of those go off. Yeah. Just close all those immediately. You know, like yes. So it's stuff like that. That's like, okay, well, it feels like peep characters are making suboptimal decisions to generate tension, right? Yes. Right. Yeah. Um. I have a reading of the film that uh, you may want to end up, you may want to cut out of this episode oh, uh, no. eventually. But oh no, I think uh, because we'll probably get very angry emails about it. But it, it occurred to me that there is a reading of this film that is absolute right wing propaganda. <laughs> the Halloween is a propaganda film for the extreme right wing, and you have. Uh, you have a, 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 a older white woman, let's call her, I don't know, a Fox news viewer, uh, who has assembled a fallout shelter esque doomsday scenario bunker with as much second amendment paraphernalia as she can possibly muster. And she is on the run or she is filled with terror of this other, this faceless other that on the outside looks like a white person, but who knows what's on the, we'll never know what's on the inside. Uh, might probably isn't white on the inside is, uh, I, I pretending. Think I think he's white actually. Um, well, you do, well, you do see that he's white in the film. I'm just saying that we, he's an, he's other, he doesn't say anything. <laughs> he probably can't speak the language. He, uh, he never says a word. He just comes after he's around He's terrifying. You, he you had me until you. saying Michael Myers wasn't white, but continue. No, I'm saying that his <laughs> faux face is white, mm-hmm. but he's not. I'm, I'm, he may not be. Who, what, is, what is he under there? We don't know. Just like uh, all the other others out there. Okay. His, his hands are white too? Okay, anyway. The, 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 <laughs> uh, <laughs> the, the, uh, 
you're probably gonna have to cut this out. The uh, <laughs> no, no, okay, Jeff. Here's what I'll say. Here's what I'll say. I actually, I, I don't agree with you. Again, you lost me at the Michael Myers thing, but I do think that that movies like this uh, do propagate this idea of. Uh, I, I think it's called like the cruel world theory mm-hmm. or a cruel world uh, perception, right? The idea that like everyone's out to get you. But and, like, I'm not done. I'm not done. I'm not oh, done. Okay, okay. So okay. So the the doctor who represents learned people who know uh-huh. things uh-huh. and feels for this other. He's the only one in the movie that actually cares about the other. But of course his caring leads him to sympathize and empower the other and give it, make it even more deadly and release it from the police officer's uh, cage and uh, allow it to continue killing because he cares so much about it. And, uh, and, you know, wants to study it and learn about it, like all left-wing democratic a-holes. Uh, and in the end, the only way to destroy this other is to burn down your own house, is to destroy all the things that you hold sacred, is to, is to, vote against your self-interest to do the thing that would actually hurt you the most but at least the other is also being destroyed hmm uh okay well halloween 2018 so as i said i mean i i don't know about michael myers being the other he's a white dude you clearly see he's white in both the original film and this film and he puts on a a mask that makes him even more white so that's that's where i think the analogy falls apart a little bit Mm-hmm. Um, but what, again, where I do agree with you, this is a, the idea that these movies, like I remember, uh, the movie Rambo, right? I think it was Rambo four, basically the movie Rambo with Sylvester Stallone. Yeah. Not and Rambo, Rambo. I don't, I don't remember anything. Well, not first blood. Mm-hmm. I don't remember anything about that film except for one scene, which is the, the idea that I think there's like mission, peaceful missionaries that go to like try to convince Rambo like, hey, like, dude, you know, it's OK to be nice and loving and peaceful. And then like the missionary guy at the end ends up like killing a dude because he's like the only adequate response against violence is more violence. Like the, the only way to protect yourself is more violence. Mm-hmm. And like he kind of freaks out and like the movie ends up validating Rambo's point of view that like basically you need to be good at killing to survive in this world. And there's many, many movies where – like think about Taken, which is like a very popular franchise where uh, this like older character is really, really scared about what's going to happen to his daughter. And all of his fears are completely validated in the most spectacular way. Like the, the worst thing imaginable happens to his daughter when she goes on this trip. And so the lesson of that movie is uh, she never should have gone to this other country. You know, like, right, right. Uh, yeah. listen to your dad. Yeah, listen to your dad. You know, listen to your dad when he's being super overprotected. You, you know, and yeah. in this movie, Judy Greer, who actually, for a change, is given something to do, so that's great. Uh, compared to like when she's usually in like three scenes in a movie, and then you never hear from her again. She's I mean, an she's awesome only actor. in three scenes in this movie as well, but well, a few more than that. But but I mean, she is portrayed to be um, naive. You know, she's portrayed to be not. As with it as Jamie Lee Curtis's character, because Jamie Lee Curtis is the only one that actually knows what's going on, you know. Right. And uh, Judy Greer's character specifically says, "Like, no, mom, the world is a loving place, you know. Like, 
If there's actually kindness and goodness in the world, basically sounding a lot like Jeff Kanata. Mm-hmm. And yeah. uh, she gets what's coming to her. She she's wrong. To kill she's people. the one. That, she's the one that's wrong. She's the one that needs to pick up a gun and shoot Michael Myers in the head at the end. That's right. Um, so Just like I do at some point eventually. Right. Exactly. So I think uh, I, I don't know if the movie is like an allegory for you know freaking Fox News or anything like that, but I do think that uh, it does validate this worldview that it's every person for themselves, and violence is the only answer to. Uh, violence, right? And um, this thing is just evil. And let's, there's nothing to understand about this force. It's just evil. No, no point in trying to study it. No point in trying to sympathize. Uh, right. All you have to do is destroy it with as much force as possible, you know? Yeah. And uh, I mean, that's, it's a very simplistic message that, uh, you know, I don't, I don't know if I care for it. I don't know if I care for it, Jeff. So, yeah. Couple, couple things. Uh, to just point out as we wrap up here, one is like, what do you think of the doctor character going insane? Like the idea, there was a moment where I thought, oh, is Michael Myers dead? And this is the new Michael Myers. Is right. that where this movie's going? Yeah, uh, I thought that would have been interesting. That it's this, you know, dread pirate Roberts kind of passing along. Um, but I did. It was super creepy that he put the mask on. Yeah, uh, I thought that was really super. Yeah, creepy. is this gonna be like 007? Like he's the new Michael Myers? You know. Yeah. Um, and then like every movie is a new Michael Myers. Yeah. Th- right. That, that was and crazy. the fact that then Michael Myers then also kills him because, uh, you know, and, he, and and the movie makes such a big deal about the fact that he doesn't say any words and then never pays that off. Never pays it off. Why? why never, is it, what, do you, what do you mean by that? Like you thought he would talk at some point? Yeah. There's a moment where clearly they're looking at him. He's standing there. He's about to burn up. I thought, here it is. The one time he says a word. I didn't. I did not feel that way at all. It I mean, felt like I, that I, was the, exa- the the setup was. All I want is to say a word. Just say any word. Just say a word. All I want you to do is say a word. And then you know she's like, oh, he said a word to me, and he's like, oh, I must know the word he said. It felt like all we need is Michael Myers to say a word, and the movie's like, nah, he's not going to say anything. I did not. That did not occur to me at all. I, I, I think, like I said, it's reinforcing this idea that he there's nothing to understand there. There's nothing complex there. It's just an evil force. And, and I think the movie, yeah. f- pro- you know, that was the company line, and it stuck with that, and that's fine. Um. Uh, the subplot of the journalists at the beginning of the, the film, podcasters, like, the podcasters, like it, it, in, it, it felt like it could have been a critique of podcasters or journalists basically profiting off of people's misery and suffering. Sure. Yeah. Uh, or sensationalized. Like, I mean, the dude is clearly unhinged, right? The, right. the journalist who's like, sc- has the mask and he's screaming at Michael Myers to say something. Yeah. Um, that guy is insane. Like that guy's, you know, not as insane as Michael Myers, but quite unbalanced, it seems to me. But yeah. and so it felt like the movie could have been a critique of that in some ways. Um, but then, but uh, but I, really, they're dispatched so quickly that I think that the journalists, the only reason they're there is to get Michael Myers's mask back, right? Yeah, and it feels I like agree. a pretty big missed opportunity um, to to have something uh, interesting to say on that front. Not saying the movie doesn't have other interesting things to say, but like that particular area was a waste. So there's two moments I'd like to highlight. Uh, I mentioned already the the moment in the fog on the side of the road with the crashed bus and the fact that we don't see the breakout. I love that we come to it later. Uh, it is so much more terrifying having just to see the aftermath and the chaos of that moment, especially through the eyes of that young child. 
But the fact that we see that child murdered, I was like, whoa, Ooh, movie. That's what, yeah, that's when you know the movie's like playing for keeps. Right? Yeah. And then that leads me to the second moment, which because of that setup, the moment where he goes in and kills that woman in her home and then walks through and you hear the baby crying. Yeah. I was like, he's going to kill that fucking baby. <laughs> I was like, if he murders a baby in its crib, I might have to leave the theater. Right. Like, I don't know if I can take that. And thankfully, there's restraint. But uh, I just thought that was a brilliant setup, payoff kind of moment of, uh, yeah, we're, you know, we're going to, I'm going to kill a kid and I'm going to, you're going to watch this kid get smashed into the side of a uh, bus. <laughs> and that's going to make you think that we're able to do anything here. Right. You know? And I thought that was pretty, uh, pretty deftly done. Yeah, yeah, and it was. I, I thought it was kind of hilarious that it's like, oh, hey, even Michael Myers is not evil enough to kill the baby. Yeah, <laughs> yes. I mean, he's going to yeah. kill the baby's caretaker, and the the baby will probably starve to death at some point. But yeah, the baby's going to be <laughs> messed up and and possibly dead either way. But at least we don't have to watch him like <laughs> smash its brains or something. Yeah, yeah. Um, but on that note, uh, there were a couple of like sequences of banter that I thought were actually genuinely funny. You know, like the the banter between the kid and his, uh, I think it was his dad in the car. And he's like, yeah. I'm really into dance class right now. You know, like. Well, the Danny McBride is a co-screenwriter of this movie. And there's definitely some Danny McBride DNA in, in it. You know, the the two cops talking about uh, bond me. Yeah. I, I thought yeah. that was great. And I, I didn't even think I didn't even think it was a deconstruction of that trope. I just thought it was like a really solid version of it. You know, like yeah. it's just like. This is just this is we're going to do banter and it's going to be funny and it's going to make you relate to these characters and uh and it's not quite like what you've seen before and I thought that was that was delightful so it was great to see that. And the the babysitting moment with the kid, you know, the 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 kid that belongs in an 80s sitcom, you know, right. he's like a Webster or uh different strokes, you know, he's like that that of that mold of like one of those kids that's you know, more street smart than his age, you know, should would lead him to believe uh, he was very delightful and funny as well. Last shot of the movie is uh, a zoom in on the knife. Yeah, uh, that uh, the Strode girl is holding. Did you have any interpretation of that? I think there's a couple possible interpretations. Some people have said like maybe she's going to be the next Michael Myers. I don't think uh, that. I don't think so either. I think yeah. Uh, but I, I think there there is a possible interpretation. I don't know that this is my interpretation, but I think it's possible to interpret that as like. Well, to, to to kind of reinforce a point I was making earlier that like the only thing that could defeat this force is like the weapons that the force itself used, you know? Right. Yeah. Um, but which, yeah. But no body, no death. We do not see Michael Myers Correct. consumed by fire. We see the fire surrounding him. We see him staring maniacally, you know, passively at them as the fire surrounds him and engulfs him. And then we see an external shot of the house exploding. We do not see Michael Myers. We do not see what you would expect, which is the the mask melting on the ground or something like that. Uh, so Jeff, nobody. I, I, I think yeah. it is adorable, adorable that you think that even if we did see Michael Myers' body, that would mean he's dead. <laughs> that is just so cute. Good point. It's that good is point. so cute. Yeah. Uh, okay. Any other thoughts on this movie or shall we wrap it up? Uh, I mean, ultimately, I think uh, Michael Myers, we, we we know him to be a, what, pushing 70 in this movie, 60-plus-year-old man uh-huh. who, uh, uh, you know, still is terrifying and gets hit by a car and walks it off and stabbed and shot multiple times and walks it off. He's – but he's just a, just like this uh, AARP member. That's all he is, right? 
Yeah, I have a feeling there's going to be more Michael Myers, though. This movie mm. made $77 million this weekend. Yeah. That's insane. It is going to be the most successful Halloween film of all time. Yeah. I have to say I'm a little baffled by it. Like, I, I don't understand what is it about this movie that so resonated with people. I mean, it's awesome that Jamie Lee Curtis is headlining a movie that made this much money. Like, she's awesome. and so, She's awesome. And uh, I think that there's something really uh, – there's th- that concept of – the original person coming back right. and seeing seeing you know grandma versus the Michael Myers. I think there's something fun about that. Uh, I think this just sort of hit at the right time. There aren't a lot of other horror movies competing for the October scare factor. People like going to horror movies in October, you know. So if you look at the other reboots that have happened recently, like Nightmare on Elm Street, uh, that came out in 2010, you know that movie opened to. 32 million friday the 13th in 2009 opened to 40 million now you could argue that those movies are much worse but i just thought uh wow yeah i think it must have been that premise that that really got people i think yeah um so anyway we'll be seeing more of these movies if you like them all the power to you if you think they're okay you're probably more like me and you could you could take them or leave them all good either way um but solid slasher movie no complaints that's yeah i thought it was uh, pretty good yeah, that's our review of Halloween. All right. Stay tuned to hear what we'll probably be discussing next week. You can find more episodes of this podcast at slashfilmcast.com. Email us at slashfilmcast.gmail.com. Our theme song comes from adamwarrock.com. Our spoiler bumper comes from filmmaker Kyle Hillinger. Sometimes we use a slash film court spoiler bumper or a slash film court bumper that comes from simonmharris.com. Uh, Jeff Kanata, where can we find more of your work on the internet this week? Well, you can always follow me on Twitter. I'm at Jeff Kanata, which is spelled with two N's and one T. And I do a video game podcast called DLC, which you can find at 5x5.tv slash DLC. You can find all of my stuff at uh, DaveChen.net. Subscribe to get my emails at DaveChen.net slash letters. I try to recap all the stuff I've been reading and thinking about that week. Um, and I, I like the idea that you would just like forward people your emails. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Get my, get my emails. It's just <laughs> spam that I get that I forward to you. <laughs> no, I, I actually uh, uh, really appreciate all the people who have subscribed and responded to that that newsletter. Again, it's DaveChen.net slash letters. Really appreciate it. Um, and it is original things. It is not just things that people send to me. So uh, Next week, I think we'll be reviewing The Old Man and the Gun. So that's, that is what we have on store for next week. Yeah. Uh, we may try to do a BoJack Horseman Season 5 review if we uh, can get the, the talent to, to get that going. But, uh, yeah, that's what we got in store. Thanks for listening to the Slash Homecast as we continue to evolve this month with different co-hosts <laughs> and different permutations. Appreciate your patience. Hope you're enjoying the show. And we'll see you guys later. Selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to do we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify's there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell 
everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify's the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash audioboom, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash audioboom now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash audioboom. <laughs> 